Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participant's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Stomping Jen. Sawtooth Frank. Hello again, my friend. Oh, hi. Welcome to the Soft Serve Podcast. Oh, thanks for welcoming me. Yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. It sort of came around um, in a unusual way for us. Uh, we were at a party, and I started talking to a, a really nice person, and I discovered that this person who we're going to talk to, um, Mike Vito, um, is involved in conservation and activism around cold water fisheries in Western Massachusetts. Cool. Yeah, specifically this um, area that we think of as, it's called the Deerfield Watershed. Mm -hmm. So as usual, Stomping Jen, um, I have many, many questions. Yes. Um, Mike agreed to come on the podcast and talk to us and answer these questions. So I'm excited. Are we ready? Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Let's go dive in. Oh, you're awesome. Hold on. <laughs> All right, here we go. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Stomping no. Jen. No. Have no, no doubt we're going to talk trout okay. oh my God. with our guest, Mike Vito. We're going to talk about cold water fisheries. There's it's, a lot to know. I'm a cold water fish right now. Why? Freezing in this. Oh, I had to turn on the air conditioning. It's ridiculous. It was very humid. Well, let's let's without further ado, let's say hello to Mike. Hi, Mike. Sawtooth, how are you? How are you, Jen? Good. I'm doing good, Mike. I wanted the very first thing I wanted to check in with you about um, after saying first thank you for doing um, our podcast and talking to us was how is your back? Um, we were at this party together and. I, I looked across the room and saw you, and I said, there is another um, person my age or possibly older suffering from back, <laughs> a painful back, and we got to talking. Um, so how is your back any better? Uh, a little bit. Yes. A little bit. Um, it, um, it's something that I've had since my early 30s, which would make it almost 30 years ago. Um, so it's something that you just live with and get through until you get healthy again. Mm. Yeah. I've been, um, since, since we met at that party and got to talking, I've been engaged in a, a stretching regimen every yeah. evening. Mm -hmm. I that, roll, I roll around. Yeah. I roll around on the floor. It's helping a little, a little. but I think I'm going to be in Mike's shoes. I may never really get better, but you know, I'll have to live with it. Um, 
So again, thanks for coming in to talk to us about um, yeah. this. My yeah, this project you're involved in. It's more than a project. Um, you are, um, I think, you're president of the Deerfield River Watershed Trout Unlimited Chapter, um, which is, as I said in the intro. Um, it's an organization focused on protecting our cold water wild trout fisheries from uh, the effects of global warming. That's a lot. Yeah, we should ask Mike to tell us about that. Yeah, I'm going to. Uh, Mike, tell us a little <laughs> bit more about, about this organization. Um, Trout Unlimited is actually a national organization, and it has about 300 members and friends nationwide. And every state is comprised of state councils. Um, they're sort of a, a governing body that helps and advocates for all the different chapters within that state. In Massachusetts, we have 10 chapters. Um, we have one, um, of course, the Deerfield River Watershed chapter, which uh, I'm nearing the end of my presidency of, um, Pioneer Valley Trout Unlimited, it's right below us in the uh, more of the Hampshire County area and also down in a Springfield. Taconic does the Berkshires to our west. Um, of course, Greater Boston has its own chapter. It's, of course, the largest. Uh, Deerfield, of course, is one of the smallest. Um, being in Franklin County, um, you know, it's the smallest county in the state. So we have uh, not as many people, but we're just so blessed to have so many talented people on our board. Yeah, and uh, tell us a little bit more about the um, the area that we think of uh, as the Deerfield watershed. That comprises like parts of Vermont, right? That's correct. Okay. Um, um, because we recognize state boundaries in Trout Unlimited, we essentially have charge of the Deerfield River watershed um, from the Massachusetts border, which um, starts let's see, in, it would be Monroe, Massachusetts. Um, you know, the budding metropolis of about 120 people. Oh my gosh. Um, and it makes its way um, through Franklin County and it ends in Deerfield, Massachusetts, where it runs right into the Connecticut River. Sure. And and this is going to sound like an obvious question, um, but why why do we need the Deerfield River Watershed Chapter like, why do we need this? Why does this organization exist? We exist as, you know, and as I told you at the party, we're not a fishing club. People always mix up Trout Unlimited with, you know, a bunch of folks who just like to go out fishing and, um, you know, drink beer. Now, we do like to do that, of course, but our uh, main mission is conservation, is helping to uh, improve the habitat of wild trout. Um, Massachusetts is it's southern New England. It, we don't have a lot of cold water fisheries. Um, we do in tributaries, uh, the small little brooks and streams. You might see, you know, riding down a rural road. Believe it or not, there's probably native brook trout in there. But for some of our major rivers in Massachusetts, there are really only three major rivers that have wild trout populations. Um, that's the Swift River in Belchertown. Huh. which I know you're familiar with Sawtooth. Yeah, we live here um, in Belchertown. Yep. yep. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the Deerfield um, and the Hoosick River, um, which um, goes through northern Berkshire County into upstate New York. Now, has that always been the case, that these 
big rivers don't support the wild cold water trout? Or is this um, is the only reason we have these three rivers that contain these fish because of global warming? Well, and not just global warming. Some of the rivers were, were, and I don't know how far back we would go in the geographic timetable, but they have gotten warmer. Yeah. Certainly global warming is part of it. But let's face it, um, there used to be a lot of great brook trout streams in greater Boston. Now there aren't any. Um, development um, has been a, a big um, reason for that. Uh, some of them just don't exist anymore. And when you develop property and, you know, you build more roads, um, you know, the runoff from the rain is warm water that gets into those cold water streams and makes the water warmer. And, you know, the trout can't survive. Yeah. And they are... Um... They are something to see in the wild. These, the trout. these, yeah, these wild trout. I've seen them a few times. You know, in ver- more up north, um, in the more northern rivers yes. and um, streams and tributaries. But have you seen them in the Swift? In the Swift, I the saw Swift some, is freezing. Yeah, I is, never even like made that connection. That yeah, they need that cold water. Yeah, but they are they are beautiful fish to look at Mm -hmm. i mean often they're just sitting there kind of in place as the water flows over them and you know they're just um just a beautiful thing to look at Mm. yeah um now how did you get involved in this conservation work uh mike like what brought you Um, to this i um have been fishing and, you know, even grew up hunting. Uh, Even though I grew up in greater Boston, I came from a family who enjoyed those things. And uh, when I moved out here to Western Massachusetts back in, I think, 1985, I I thought I died and gone to heaven. (laughs) Um, You know, the Deerfield River is not the Charles River or the Neponset or the Mystic River. Um, Very different, very clean, very cold and pristine. I really, you know, fishing has been a passion of mine for a very long time. And I just, um, you know, with the career I've had in government and journalism, um, I just wanted, like most of us, you know, put our skills to the test and, um, you know, follow our passion and and make it better. And um, it it was really made for me. I had... um, I was fishing one evening up at the Fife Brook section right near the dam that actually controls a big portion. It's 17 miles long from um, Florida, Mass, down to um, Shelburne Falls or Buckland. I forget which community. Um, 17 miles is the area between the two dams. It's undisturbed. Okay. But that, that dam at Fife Brook, which is hydroelectric, controls that. And I was up there one evening enjoying a, an evening hatch. I was having some great luck and uh, a fellow pulled up behind me in a car and uh, he was quite a character. Um, brought out this huge 12, 13 foot spay rod, which is a very different type of fishing. It's a huge rod. You need two hands to cast it. And we were chatting and I recognized him. He had just caught a brown trout fairly recently that was well over 30 inches long in the Deerfield uh, watershed. And I obviously wanted to get to know him. I knew he was president of the TU chapter. So I, you know, tweaked up my Boston accent a little bit. So he didn't (laughs) think I was so local and uh, we got talking and I was out fishing him, which I know the locals hate when Bostonians can outfish them. (laughs) 
And uh, he started calling me names, kidding. And then, you know, afterwards I introduced myself, told him who I was. I'd lived in the area for a long time. And he invited me to join the chapter. And, um, you know, we really hit it off. And that was back in 2016. And, you know, I joined the chapter and eventually got on the board, became vice president, now, now president, and getting ready to turn the reins over to the current vice president in January. Yeah. How does that feel um, after having shepherded this for so many years and getting ready to turn it over? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, actually. Um, one of the things um, with any volunteer organization is to keep it going. Yeah. Um, because a lot of, um, especially, you know, all volunteer groups, sometimes they have ups and downs. It depends on who's there. But I think that we've really been able to build a solid team um, and a solid bench of people who are ready to step into leadership positions. Um, you know, it's it's important work. It's not a lot of a lot of people don't know exactly what it is that we do, um, but it is pretty important. Yeah. And, um, and is yeah, it, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. It, and now it's not just trout, right, that need these cold waters to survive, right? Are there other types of um, fish that live in these rivers that you all are interested in, or are you mostly just interested in, in this, these trout? We are mostly interested in trout, but in some of the brooks and streams, especially the smaller ones, um, there are uh, smaller fish. Um, some people might call them minnows, but they're really not. Um, the creek chubs, um, black-nosed dace, and also, um, there's a, there's a couple of others. Um, are they, are they really the? Are, oh, sorry. Are they the food for the trout? Do the trout eat them? Yeah. And some of those, um, some of those streams, sometimes they can grow as big as the trout. Hmm. Wow. Um, and some of the smaller brooks that you see, not the swift. Again, that's a major river, um, but one that you could almost jump across. Some of those trout, the six-inch trout, is big. Um, but what is important about the trout is that they are a very strong indicator, um, species of wildlife that tells you when things are wrong with their environment. Yeah. Like, um, I think am certain amphibians are too, like frogs, um, Correct. salamanders, you know, mm -hmm. if you go out there and, uh, see a, you know, a five-legged frog, there's some trouble. <laughs> That's what I've heard anyways. Um, well, what does is, what is Trout Unlimited do? Like, what is the work that you guys focus on? Essentially, we work on habitat restoration. Mm -hmm. um, we also look to try and change uh, regulations um, to, to make, um, like, water flows um, more conducive to the trout. Mm -hmm. um, we're in the middle of uh, a mediation right now with Brookfield Power. They are the owners of the Fife Brook Dam and the um, Bear Swamp Pump Storage Facility. Um, right now, they can put out about 610 megawatts of power from there. That's a lot. Um, but they have to um, draw water. And right now, their minimum flows, which are done through an agreement, are at about 125 cubic feet per second, um, which is a measure of the volume of the water coming through. But that minimum flow can go to 1,000 cubic feet per second in 10, 15 minutes. 
And what we have learned through some of our work is that it does wreak havoc on the environment, that up and down, constant, sometimes happens twice a day. Um, We've found that uh, since the upper deer field has gotten so cold, we did find um, trout reds, um, meaning that the fish were spawning. Those are um, like nests uh, full of trout eggs. And we had um, gone to Mass Fish and Wildlife and asked them if they would fund a study um, because we felt in this relicensing process, we really needed science um, to show that what they were doing was harmful. And Mass Fish and Wildlife didn't have it, um, have the money to do it. So, you know, a group of us got together and we raised the money. Mm-hmm. We hired a biologist and we went out and found trout reds. And in about a five mile area, we identified 105 trout reds. Wow. Is that, a, is that a lot? It is. It's a lot more than any of us thought, yeah. including the biologists from Mass Fish and Wildlife. Um, again, this hadn't been done before, but because we're always out there fishing, we take note. And I've been fishing the area, like I said, since 1985. And, you know, the water has gotten colder since they shut down the Yankee Atomic Power Plant in 1992. That used to warm the water. Mm. So now it is colder. So I used used to see a little bit of spawning activity back in the 80s, but you don't see nearly as much as you do now. So what we did is we went back to those reds, we marked them, measured them, and then took egg samples from every single um, um, red that we marked. And we sent the eggs off to a a lab in Montana uh, run by the U.S. Forest Service to determine uh, its DNA structure. And we proved that those were indeed brown trout eggs. Wow. And that was not supposed to be there. So when we, what we also found was that that minimum flow in the wintertime of 125 cubic feet per second, nearly 40% of the reds were exposed to the air. Um, so they were no longer flowing over them. They were below them. And that's mm. the da- that's the danger of the fluctuating water Correct. levels, right? Is those those nests and those those reds and the eggs can get destroyed because the Correct. air air will get at them. And I imagine birds and other critters will come along and find them and eat them. If they can find them. Um yeah. and it doesn't take long because often, you know, they'll be uncovered for about seven or eight hours and then mm. water will come up again. So it's a process that can sometimes repeat itself more than once a day. So what we were trying to do was increase those winter flows enough to cover those reds. And that would give the trout eggs a much better chance of hatching and becoming part of the wild trout population that's there. Uh, were the, are, the dam, are the dam companies responsive when you bring them the data in explain to them the problem or, and I imagine this is the difficult part of the work, right? Like the really challenging part of the work is having to work with, um, you know, governmental or utility type of agencies. We had, uh, this was all part of their relicensing. Um, Hydro dams in this country can get licensed for from 30 to seven, 30 to 50 years. The license is good for without any scrutiny in between. Mm -hmm. So this is an opportunity to really take a look at that and see what types of improvements can be made. 
because you know these companies are private and they're making money off of a public resource. Yeah, um, that water belongs to all of us. So, given that this was during the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission (FERC) uh, their relicensing process, we this would be our best opportunity to bring about that change. Within the FERC relicensing process, the Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection has a right um, to certify um, the license with a water quality certificate. And the Massachusetts DEP refused to give them their, um, their water quality certificate based on the fact that they had not addressed um, the trout reds that were being stranded in the wintertime. Wow. And FERC agreed. So we proceeded into a mediation, which we're in now. Uh, we've signed a non-disclosure agreement. Sure. Um, so I can't say too much about it, but we're hoping to have uh, something within the next few weeks. Damn, that is, ama- that is amazing that this organization, um, uh, Mike's organization, um, went out there, funded the study, got a biologist, and actually made a difference here. Yeah. And what's good is this process, yeah. to let you know how long the FERC relicensing process is, this started before I joined the chapter. Oh, wow. This has been going on for nearly 10 years. And, um, you know, one of our um, board members, um, former president Kevin Parsons is an attorney. Uh, Chris Jackson is one of the uh, more experienced uh, guides, fishing guides on the river. Uh, they've really led the charge on this. And, you know, when we all pulled together and got volunteers to go out and try to identify reds along an eight and a half mile stretch of river, um, you know, there was a lot of people that had a hand in this and we're just hoping for some success in the future. And mm-hmm. once we get those winter flows up, if that does happen, um, you know, we're really hoping that um, those eggs that had been stranded before will have a better chance, will hatch and we'll have even more wild fish in the river. And our ultimate goal with all of this is to create the very first wild trout management area on a major river in Massachusetts. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, Are there also stocked like trout in those? Okay. Heavily. Yeah. The state stocks its uh, rivers, major rivers, especially very heavily. Um, We have, they have been doing tests since our success um on the trout spawning study um well for the past three or four years they have been sampling um the brown trout population in that stretch of the river and what they do is they go out and they stun the fish through electroshocking and um they they don't tag them anymore but what they've been doing is they stock them uh, is they clip the adipose fin a bit which is that it's in between the tail and the dorsal fin Um, They will just clip a nub off of that. So for the past three or four years, um, they've been doing that process. And when they go out and they electroshock fish, they can count and see which has an adipose fin and which doesn't. And we were even surprised to learn that what they're finding is that 70% of the brown trout they've been capturing are wild fish and 30% are stocked. Wow. You know, is this, is this, do you think this is due, like you said, to the, in that river, the Yankee power plant shutting down and the water becoming more uh, cold? Colder? Yeah, colder. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't have any data or anything to back that up because it was so long ago, but certainly we can see that the river is colder. Um, There are ice jams and ice flows on the river that never happened prior, um, you know, when Yankee Row was up and running. Mm -hmm. So it might have something to do with it, but it could be other things as well. Uh, But we also know that brown trout can tolerate warmer water than brook trout or rainbow trout. Um, So that's why you see a lot of like out in the Catskills, all the famous rivers there. It's the birthplace of fly fishing in America. Um, those rivers are, are with the uh, wild brown trout. We'd like to do something similar in yeah. the deer field. Um, in addition to trying to change policies, trying to make legislation, working with utilities, is there stuff you all do? Like you go out there and do you do stuff in the environment to help the habitats in any way? Yeah. The project that we're working on right now, uh, we're dealing with a, a small brook. Um, it's called Rice Brook. Mm-hmm. It's a direct tributary to the deer field. It's in Charlemont. Um, and it comes down off of the hill on the north side of Route 2. Yeah. And it's very cold. And what we're trying to do is a method called wood and stream placement. Trout love wood in the water. Um, wood in the water provides food, you know, macroinvertebrates that come off of it, insects. It also provides shelter and it also provides shade that mm-hmm. helps keep that stretch of the water cooler. Yeah. Um, because we're in New England, people might not realize all the forests we have are pretty young. So we don't have that many trees dying off and falling over into the brooks. Yeah, I think I read somewhere I many, many years ago when I was taking a forestry class at uh, UMass Amherst when I was an undergrad, I read that a uh, hundred years ago or so, I think ninety-eight percent of Massachusetts was entirely deforested. Yes. Yeah. So it was like mostly like fields, like mm-hmm. rolling fields, and all of this, all of these woods around us now are mm-hmm. they're brand new, like baby woods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of them, anyways. Yeah. We have more woods in Massachusetts now than we did one hundred and twenty-five years ago. That's mind-boggling. <laughs> That's mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah. It is. But that's also why we have more wildlife now. You know, people see more deer, mm-hmm. uh, more foxes, you know, coyotes have now moved into the area where we used to have wolves. Um, you know, there's something of a cross between the Western coyote and the gray wolf in Canada. Um, they're all over the place now. and But now there, there's woods here, but the woods aren't that old. And yeah. what we're trying to do is replicate that natural process of trees going into the stream. Hmm. So we've been working on Rice Brook. We started doing it this year. We had to get permits to do it from the Charlemont Conservation Commission. Um, it does fall under the uh, Wetlands Protection Act. Yeah. And we're fortunate enough to have a biologist on our board who donated his time. Another biologist who just retired um, from a different chapter came out to help. And we, the three of us went out and did all of the wetlands delineation Mm -hmm. Uh, the top of bank marking that all had to be um, punched into a GPS unit. And when we finished all of that, we identified 11 different wetlands, which was, we did not expect that. Um, And 
Yeah, it, it was a long, long process. Some of those 90 degree days that you remember last June and July, oh, yeah. I was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like hearing you talk, it's amazing to me. I think people, um, when they think of conservation work, right, may not realize how much um, detailed, like, you know, work and um, planning and execution <laughs> there is to, to, be able to do a project like just listening to you and listening to all of the moving parts and the permits and mm-hmm. you know the biologists and the conservation like this is a lot of work and mm-hmm. the property owners the property owners we have to deal with them get their permission yeah. explain what we're doing what our goals are we're lucky enough that we found four fairly large property owners um, they've been great to work with but we're going to do two miles of wow. riverbank Mm. And that's a lot, especially for a little volunteer chapter with, you know, not any, there is a crew from TU National that is coming in to help us do it. Um, And it's good because they're all very experienced loggers. And, um, you know, I'm just impressed by the knowledge they have, the types of trees that they're looking for um, to go in. Uh, One is the ash tree, which of course you've probably read about the uh, ash. Yeah, the emerald ash borer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So those trees are not going to be around much longer. Right. Um, so so, so those are good those are good candidates to kind of proactively take down Correct. and drop into the yeah, into the river. Right. Yeah, these tree guys are amazing. I had a tree guy out here uh <laughs> last weekend. Um We didn't uh, have the tree guy. Well, my neighbor didn't and <laughs> I, he came, they, I had told my neighbor I had a tree and I was interested in talking to the tree guy. So he came over and uh, there was an oak tree that has a kind of a lean on it. Yeah. And I, I thought this was an old tree ready to fall down. The guy looked at it. He's like, this is a baby tree. He said, this is a healthy. <laughs> yeah, he's like, this is a healthy, fine tree. Okay. And then the thing he told me is it probably, it has grown up all its life on top of this hill that we live on. And um, all of the trees behind it, right, are used to it being there, right? And like... He was telling me how underneath the ground, like they're all tied in together. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if you cut that tree down, you might create an unintended domino effect that have some other tree fall in your house. He's like, just leave it alone. He said, don't touch this tree for 10 years. <laughs> he's like, don't even think about it for 10 years. He said, it's a fine right. tree. What we're also doing as part of this wood and stream placement is that we're collecting data to show the real impacts of this project. Yeah. So we have um, hired one of our members is also a biologist for the US Geological Survey's lab, um, the Silvio Conti uh, Fish Laboratory mm-hmm. in Turners Falls. Yeah. And he has been out taking samples of the trout population. And we're looking at both the total population within this two mile stretch, as well as the size, the average size. When the wooden stream goes in, then we're going to start electroshocking again and see how much it improves. And with this type of data, we think we're going to be able to qualify for grant funding. Um, That's awesome. We had tried one group, and when we tried to explain it, uh, they looked at me and the TU National Biologist like we had three heads. Um, And this is very commonplace in New Hampshire and Vermont, but in Massachusetts, not so much. So yeah, really hoping that, um, you know, two, three years down the road, 
we'll be able to have some good data to show how it improves. And, you know, given climate change and scientists, including the biologists at Mass Fish and Wildlife, have said that our native brook trout population is in real trouble. And what's sad is that it is the only um, native trout species east of the Mississippi River. Oh, wow. Um, Are there other... So aside from like the declining fish population that you can see and measure, what are some of the other impacts of global warming that you see like on the rivers? Are there any other things that you can see? Like are there invasive plants that start growing in these rivers and bugs that shouldn't be there, that sort of stuff? Well, I like some of these tree pests like the emerald ash borer they're making their way north because it's getting warmer um when i first moved to northampton in 1985 i never had a tick on me ever yeah for probably 10 years and now i'm covered in them um so when you're out in the woods and when you're outdoors you do notice these things yeah especially a tick bite they're 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 to be taken seriously Mm. Yeah. So interesting because when we talked to the pollinator people, yeah, they were talking about the decline of insects, like flying insects. Yeah, mm-hmm. those are good insects, though, not these bastard ticks. Yeah, ticks are terrible. Yeah, those things are ticks awful. Don't fly. <laughs> yeah, and these emerald ash borers. Mm-hmm. Those things are awful. Have you ever seen what they do to a tree? I don't want to think. It's about terrible. Um, now there's this other new one. What the spotted lantern fly yes that's scary what the fuck do they do (laughs) i don't know know. (laughs) why are they so scary what do they do um i think they can really hurt you um they can hurt people well i think there are people that are terribly allergic to them oh and mosquitoes um, too they're terrible well right i mean mosquito-borne illnesses are on the rise too and again I moved out here in 1985. We never had issues like this. Yeah, oh, it's because the climate's getting warmer. Yeah, they're terrible. The mosquitoes this year, um, in, this year in particular, because we yeah. had such a rainy July. Yeah. Um, Mike, I remember asking you this question um, at the party we were at, and at I was surprised. I, I was surprised. <laughs> this, this episode's going to have a secondary title. Yeah, at the party. At the party. Um, how? Um, I was surprised, and and again, I'm kind of generally ignorant of these things, and I don't know how stuff works, especially the Earth. It's a mystery to me, Stomping Jen. (laughs) You're not a geologist. (laughs) How do, how, um, I think I asked you something like, um, as the climate grows warmer, like, how do these rivers stay cold? And you told me all about this. They're Mm -hmm. like groundwater fed, right? Like, the cold water comes up out of the out of the earth, um, and so the rivers can kind of generally stay cold. Stay stay coldish. Correct. Yeah, those are the brooks and streams that will continue to hold native brook trout. And the Massachusetts Fish and Wildlife biologists did a study, and they got some of their information from the um, biologists at the USGS lab as well. But they're predicting that in a temperature average of uh, six degrees Celsius warmer in the summer than what it is now. If it does happen, our climate would be like South Carolina. We would lose about 76% of our native brook trout population. And the places they would still be are in places like Rice Brook, as I 
as I said, we've been taking temperatures there and as um, hot as it got last summer, um, the warmest temperature was still not, didn't reach 65 degrees. Mm. That's like the Swift. I mean, that's our frame of reference, right? Like yeah. I've never been right. on, on the deer field, but Swift is freezing. It's so cold. Yeah. I'm well, the Swift is, is from the Quabbin Reservoir, right. but right. the release is from 75 feet below the surface ah. uh, at Windsor Dam. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's cold down there. Yeah. It is. And it's consistent as well. They don't have hydro uh, peaking every day. So mm-hmm. the water levels don't change much. So mm-hmm. they have excellent hatches. Mm-hmm. Uh, the insect hatches on the deer field aren't really that good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we th- really think it's because of the hydro peaking. Mm. Is there a way, is there a environmentally safe way to increase the insect hatches? So the fish have more food or is that just, is that like introducing, you know, cats to take care of the snakes and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a big problem because you put too many of the wrong thing into the ecosystem. In the, um, the smaller brooks with this, um, wooden stream placement, and we're doing this strictly with hand tools. You can do it in larger streams with heavy equipment as well, but that wood, um that's a natural spawning ground for insects okay so that actually does put more insects uh, into the watershed by doing that and it gives the trout more food i'm thinking about something and i have to mention it i'm sorry i was thinking mike about what you said about how they're an indicator species my -hmm. favorite book ever um is a book by a writer named cormac mccarthy um called called the called the road Road. have you read the road (laughs) I have. The very last passage of the road, which is about some kind of unknown apocalypse that decimates the earth, right? The of, ver- right, of people and Of people animals. and animals. The very last passage of the road is this beautiful description of a glen deep in the woods, mm-hmm. and there's a river, and in it, Cormac McCarthy describes, like in a paragraph, a brown brook trout. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is the symbol of there's still hope, right? There's still hope yeah. for the future and the mm-hmm. earth and it's recovering and like, but deep, you know, like deep in the woods and like, but that is the thing. <laughs> he loves this. And it's like, yeah, and so I was much. just thinking as we were talking about that and just um, how important, you know, these fish are. The indicator species. Yes. I have chills, but I don't think it's because of what you're talking about. It's because you're cold, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. Think about the the swift, Jen. That'll always make you cold. (laughs) God, it's Um, so cold. So, um, one thing. So, I was was creeping around on on the the Trout Unlimited uh, website for the Deerfield River Watershed, and I was looking. uh, You have a lot of really... um, uh, helpful posts up there that feature... um, events and videos by environmentalists and Mm -hmm. um, ecologists and other types of scientists and professionals. Um, And you've talked a little bit about this. Um, It seems like it's been relatively easy to engage with experts and kind of bring them in to help. And that's been an important part of the mission of your chapter, right? Is Is reach out to community experts for help yes yes um people who have and you know we're so lucky to live in the five college area 
mm. um, because there are experts aplenty yeah, for who sure. and some have actually done their own research on the watersheds right here in Western Massachusetts. Um, we just had a, um, a gentleman on from UMass who was once uh, a member of the Deerfield River Watershed Association. And he did a whole study about the watershed, the hydro peaking that's going on but also uh, the impacts of Irene. And we just had him on a couple of months ago and there were things that I had no idea um, how bad that storm really was. I mean, we all knew that on the main stem of the river, it was considered a 500 year storm, meaning that this would happen, could happen once every 500 years. But in one of the branches, the North River system, which is a tributary, one of the tributaries of the Deerfield, it was a 3,000-year storm. Oh, my God. Which one was this? Was this the one where? It was Irene in 2011. I don't remember it. But, and now, did that have a lasting impact on the fish population? It did. Yeah. Um, we were pretty worried about what was going to happen because it happened in August of 2011. And normally we fish right into the winter. And not that year. Um, the Deerfield saw, I think the cubic feet per second was somewhere around 75, 80,000, yeah. uh, where normal is about 200. Oh, wow. <laughs> so um, parts of Route 2 were underwater. Wow. Uh, they almost, they feared that they were going to lose the Bridge of Flowers in downtown Shelburne Falls. Oh, I remember that I storm. I remember that storm now. now. I, <laughs> yeah, now I remember. Yeah, the flash flooding up there was awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really something. And it taught us a lot. And what it also taught some of the government officials in the area is that our culvert system um, for diverting water mm-hmm. um, just was not working. Yeah. So there is now state funding available to improve those. And they've improved them such that it's now easier for fish to get in and out of the main stem. Um, on Rice Brook, there's a new culvert that goes underneath Route 2 that is much more improved than it was um, than the one it replaced. Yeah. I'm sort of, I'm, I want to, Stomping Jen, you'll like this question. Um, oh, I will? Yeah. So if you are a, if you're a heartless person, right? Oh. And not you, just hold on. Let me ask the question. Oh my gosh. If you're listening to this and you're yes. a heartless person and you don't, if you don't quite, if you're not picking up on the reasons why this is important for the fish, for the environment, um, Mike, there, there certainly are um, economic reasons, right, for our region to preserve these habitat and protect these fish, right? Having them here benefits businesses, I think. It's ecotourism that you're well, talking about. Talk to us a little bit about that. Is is that an well, important part of the, the, the strategy and approach to talk to businesses? Sure. I think, you know, the state of Massachusetts has just put out some um, – economic material in terms of what uh, their investment into their, um, what do you call them, Um, fish stocking facilities, um, hatcheries. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're looking to, I know, to upgrade theirs and um, it does bring people out to fish. But what we know at Trout Unlimited, um, and I think what most people realize now is that there is a real attraction for wild fish. Wild fish are harder to catch than a stocked fish. They're crafty. 
very crafty. Yeah. Um, you really have to figure out what it is they're eating, especially if you're a dry fly fisherman like myself. I do that strictly now. And that's basically fishing on top of the water and trying to imitate what it is that they're eating. Mm-hmm. And you can throw a dozen flies right past the rising fish eating away, slurping away at all these bugs and won't even give your fly a second look. Yeah. So you really have to hone in on that and figure out what it is they're eating, what might be different about it. Um, so that's why we carry all our little tools with us to, you know, maybe snip off a little bit of wing on a fly. Mm-hmm. Um, we might crumple the wing. Um, it's just, they're just much harder to catch. And for a wild fish management area, that would attract people to come fishing from outside of New England. Yeah. And that would be a big boost um, to the area. As I tell people, and I testified um, at a, a hearing at the state house in front of a group of legislators. And I told them that, you know, in Franklin County, of course, it's the most rural county. It's uh, the smallest. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a time um, during deer hunting season when it was packed with people. And if you did not reserve um, a hotel room, uh, an inn, uh, an overnight place to stay, you were sleeping in your car. Mm. Those days are gone. Yeah. Um, hunting is not as popular as it used to be. But fly fishing yeah, is huge. becoming even more popular now. Um, you know, women are taking to the sport like crazy, um, and which is a great thing. Um it's just such a great thing to get into. And, um, and fly fishing for people who may not know it's, that's when, um, picture the person out there with that long rod, right? Like whipping it back and forth. And, um, there's a little, um, a little fly, like a fake fly, an artificial fly at the end of the string. And that's what you're trying to get the fish with a hook on it. And that's what you're trying to get the fish to bite. That's fly fishing, right? You're asking Correct. me? Don't look at me. I don't know anything about fishing. I think you're going to get into this. I don't know about we may that. take up some fly fishing, but I'm not um, so sure about that. I have heard that the swift is a very popular fly fishing. Yeah, it is, and it's a great place to learn. That's where I learned to fly fish. Mm-hmm. Um, the Deerfields, the Westfield systems—they were bigger rivers, so mm-hmm. it was harder to learn. The swift is very small and narrow, and I mean, you folks know it wasn't. It's it's a new river. Um, like when my dad was uh, a young boy, it, it didn't exist. Hmm. Globin wasn't built yet. Right, right. So yeah. it wasn't. It never went across Route Nine. So it didn't exist before. No, it's That's like right. yeah, it's a creation of it's an, from the dam. From the dam, and it goes to the Connecticut. Um, I believe it flows into the Chicopee River system, which does go into the Connecticut. But yes. And yeah. that's not part of your Deerfield watershed. No, that's part of the Pioneer Valley Trout Unlimited chapter. Okay. okay. I actually live in Northampton, which is part of Pioneer Valley's geographic area. Mm-hmm. But I had been um, fishing up on the Deerfield for many, many years. Mm-hmm. When I first went deer hunting with my dad when I was 10 years old, I remember saying to him, someday, dad, I'm going to catch a trout in that river. And mm-hmm. well, look now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so interesting. You know, where where I grew up in Boston, it was just nothing like um Charlemont. Yeah. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah. So 
Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, it's gorgeous I, up there. I grew up fishing with the, um, you know, the traditional type of reel. Um, mm-hmm. the, I don't know what you call that mechanism. A um, reel. Spinning. Is, spinning reel, yeah. What, um, Mike, what do you love about the form of fly fishing? Like, what is it that you enjoy about it? What I like about it is the skill that's required to do it. Um, I, you know, when I first fly fished, I was visiting my brother in like 1991. He had just moved out to Salt Lake City, Utah, and he's a big skier. I'm not. Um, I'm a fisher. He's not. But my dad came with me and my brother said, I hired a guide. We're going to go fly fishing. I said, I've never picked up a fly rod in my life. And my brother said, you're going to love it. So we went out with a guide on the Green River um, through Flaming Gorge, which borders Utah and Wyoming. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. There were fish rising everywhere. I was terrible. I, I just couldn't get it. I mean, it was just not something that you could do right away. Right. And, but, you know, pardon the pun, I was hooked. I mean, there was, <laughs> there was just something about it. And, you know, when you throw a fly line, you're throwing the line. When you're throwing a spinning rod lure, you're using the weight of the lure to carry it out. Right. Everything you're doing to throw the line, um, you're doing yourself. And one of the reasons I think women are so good at it is because it's not strength related whatsoever. It's all fluid. It's rhythmic. And, you know, Joan Wolf held the, the world distance record for fly, fly casting for 30, 40 years. <laughs> um, people don't realize that. Um, but I think that's, you know, it's all part of the beauty of the sport. And then trying to match what's going on around you with nature. Yeah. Um, you know, fishing lure can, you know, that can look like just about anything, but unless you have the right fly, you're not going to catch anything. So it's probably as close to nature as you're going to get in fishing. Yeah. A worm on a hook seems like a brutalist (laughs) form of fishing in comparison. (laughs) Um, do you, do you, um, do you eat the fish you catch normally or do you, is it, is there is it catch and release fishing? Does it depend on where you're fishing if you're going to eat the fish? Or um, in Trout Unlimited, we do honor catch and release, so okay. we try to release all the fish that we catch. There are very rare circumstances where you might catch a fish um, and the hook gets caught in its gills and it's not going to live. Then I wouldn't mind keeping it because it's not going to live. But you know the um, the fly hooks that we use are so small and most of us use barbless hooks. There's no barb on it. Like uh, when you put the worm on the hook. Mm-hmm. So that probably the, makes it harder to get the fish in. It certainly does. They could wiggle off easier. It could wiggle off easier, but it also doesn't harm the fish as much. Oh, you know, yeah. when you get a, you don't even know that you've, that it's been caught, you know, several times before with the, with no barb in the hook. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the times I've been bass fishing or whatever, or caught a sunfish. This mm-hmm. is awful. This is sounds awful, but when you use the barbed hooks and you pull those hooks out, like you can rip a huge hole in the fish's mouth. Mm-hmm. It can be nasty. Poor yeah, with fish. those big, with yeah. those big treble hooks on a lure. Yeah, 
Yeah. You can do that. And there are some states, and would love to see Massachusetts do it as well, that in certain places that are catch and release, artificial lures only, that you use barbless hooks. We would love to see that. Yeah. This is a silly question. Has fly fishing um, as a practice taught you anything about life? Anything else? Why is that a silly question? I don't know. <laughs> um, it's taught me to enjoy life more. Um, um, my own, you know, personal story was, you know, I was a newspaper reporter. I got into politics, was a chief aide to the mayor of Northampton, and then signed on to work for U.S. Senator John Kerry. I'm going to give and- him one of these. <laughs> I like Senator Kerry. Sorry, that wasn't loud enough. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, and while, of course, he was running for re-election and then for president, I had no life. Right. I literally had no life. And uh, I lived out of a suitcase. Um, and what fly fishing has always done for me, it's helped ground me uh, to realize what's important, what you have around you, and to appreciate what's there. Um, but then having worked for Kerry, using that experience to try and change policy to make the environment better. <laughs> Did you ever go fly fishing with Senator Kerry? No, and I yeah. wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask that. Um, uh, I thought it was interesting. I was, I was, cre- I was again, I was creeping around the Trout Unlimited um, uh, website uh, for the the Deerfield River Watershed chapter, and I'm going to include the links to this website in our show notes. Great. So I want people to check Thank this you. this website out. Um, because it it's pretty interesting. I learned a bunch of stuff watching those videos and looking at things. One of the things I saw was that um, there's a page on there um, that if you see a trout out there in the wild, you can report it, right? You can, Correct. yeah, a can, trout. yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, that page and like why it exists and why you want people to to report these fish if if we see them? You know, we're working very closely with Massachusetts Fish and Wildlife right now, and they're really trying to do the best they can um, to really figure out how many fish uh, are in the Fife Brook section, as I described. And they have something on their website, um, basically asking people to report fish, report your catch. Um, and what they ask is what type of fish it is, how big, where did you catch it, and what time of day. Um, so we felt and they welcomed this as if we could actually get more people to go to their website and do this. It's, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Information is good. Data is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, one thing I, I, so the other thing I saw is there's a lot of different, um, committees, um, for the, um, for the Deerfield, uh, river watershed, uh, chapter um and and i would imagine that means there's a lot of um volunteer opportunities for people so if they're if they're listening to this and if you're listening to this and you feel motivated to help out like what what types of um what types of ways can people help out the chapter and volunteer um you know we do uh, just about everything um we did um just recently um participated in the Connecticut River Conservancy source to sea cleanup. Mm-hmm. We cleaned up an area around the Bardwell's ferry section 
of um, near the Bodwell Ferry Bridge uh, on the lower portion of the Deerfield. Um, so if people want to come out and, you know, just help pick up and get some of the trash out of there, um, you know, that that's a great thing. But I think most people are interested in the science projects that we do. Mm-hmm. And right now the woody debris placement is pretty popular, obviously, but also the electroshocking work that we do to count the number of fish. Um, and we're focused on rice book right now has really got people's attention. Um, there are a lot of fish in that brook and they're very small. They're tiny, but the density is, is incredible. And I think that really surprises people because you could walk right beside the brook and not see a thing. And within a few feet, you can get 10 little brook trout. Yeah. Um, you didn't even know they were there. So, and then the process of measuring each fish, uh, we're taking uh, small fin clips from them for DNA analysis what we want to see is if uh, these are true native uh, brook trout and that these were not related to any past stocked brook trout that could have been either put in the water oh, or got in there from got in there from the um, the main stem of the deer field. Uh, we think that they are going to be native, but there's really only one way to be sure. Yeah, and if if you're not the type of person who wants to go out in nature right and get dirty like me stomping jen i'm comfortable sitting here behind a microphone um there are other there are other there are other um committees that there may be slots to help out with so um you you i was looking at this i was like i'm involved in union work mike so i was looking we have all of these committees in my union um but there's there's a membership committee right if you Mm -hmm. if you like talking to people and recruiting people and you know you could get involved with that there's a uh, a communication committee, um, a nomination committee. You all probably have to run elections if you're if you're a chapter. Yep. Um, so if you like that stuff, there's an education committee, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to help out in educating people about this stuff. So if you're passionate about um, conservation, um, activism, fish, 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 you, you could do some education. Flies. Yep. Right. Um, Financial Development Committee, Conservation Committee. There's a lot of you. Could, you could do a lot of work here, mm-hmm. right? And you could volunteer and help out. So, I'm encouraging folks if you're listening to this and this is something you're interested in. I'm sure there's a a way for you to help. Email, um, go on the website and find the contact information. Check it out. Yeah, check it out. Um, yeah, we uh, we welcome everybody. Anybody who's in, and you don't even have to fish. We've got several people who aren't so interested in the fishing, but they love the science. Yeah. And also, um, if you're sitting there and you have money burning a hole in your pocket, <laughs> you can donate too. You yeah. can just give money. Yeah. Yeah. Help fund the projects. So think about that yeah. too. And that's one of our big challenges is that in our territory, we have some of the most prime trout habitat in the entire state. Yet we are the poorest county with the least amount of people. Mm. Um, For people who are outside of Massachusetts, I can tell you that Franklin County is comprised of 26 separate towns. It's 725 square miles in area. Yeah. It has about 70,000 people. Yeah. I was going to say, it's a very large geographic area, but there's not a lot of people. Yeah. But in comparison... Mm-hmm. Somerville, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. right on the doorstep of Boston, is three and a half square miles in area with 80,000 people. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
So we are rural. I mean, a lot of people from outside of Massachusetts automatically think Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and you folks know, I mean, Franklin County looks more like Southern Vermont mm-hmm. than it does anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, throw a few bucks yeah. their way. This yeah. is going to a really um, important cause. This is something we should all care about. Um, let's see. Um Mike, was there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about or cover before we get into our last couple of questions? Um, I think we're, you know, I think we're on a good roll here. I mean, I think we're talking about how Trout Unlimited is really, you know, a conservation group. We're not, uh, Mm -hmm. we're not fishing people. We are fishing people, but uh, we all love to fish. But, you know, Trout Unlimited does have a long time saying um, that if you take care of the fish, the fishing will take care of itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're about, but it's not just, you know, the trout we're helping by some of this work that we're doing, we're helping other species as well. Yeah. Um, sure. Colder, cleaner water is good for the environment. Yeah, it sure is. I just love looking at a nice clear river. Do you know what I mean? Stomping Jen? Like when we were out there floating around on the Swift, Mike. Um, in a boat. No, I was on a paddleboard. No. no, I'm just saying we weren't just floating out there. Oh, we were on a paddleboard. Yeah, we were yeah. on like a vessel. Um, <laughs> it was it was almost meditative just to sit there and watch these fish, mm-hmm. these gigantic brown. I think they were brown trout. These gigantic know what they were. brown trout. They were absolutely. They were, they were trout. big fish in the river. <laughs> they were trout, and it was it was meditative yep. just to sit there and watch them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and float above them. If they were big fish, there was there's a couple of um, broodstock brown trout that they put in there, but uh, mm-hmm. most of them are rainbow trout, the bigger yeah. ones. Yeah. But as I was saying before, um, brook trout um, naturally spawn in the Swift River. It's the only major river where they do spawn naturally, and that's because of the cold water. And there could be great potential to develop that fishery someday, strictly for brook, brook trout. Mm. Um, but that's because it's, you know, related to the public water drinking supply, 43 communities in greater Boston. Right. I don't Not think us. I'd want to tackle that red tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They put fish in the quabbin? They do. Yes. Um. There's a fish hatchery yeah, here. I was going to say the in, fish hatchery. Yeah, in right. Belchertown where they grow these fish. Yeah. It's pretty McLaughlin amazing. Fish hatchery. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's also, unfortunately, getting pretty old. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Trout Unlimited in our mission, we don't really deal with stock fish so much. Right. Yeah. You deal with the natural. Was, we really key in on uh, wild species. Interesting. Yeah. They're, I learned something, Stomping Jen. They're, they're harder to catch, they're more fun. Right, and they're better for they're better for the environment because they're natural fish. Oh, that's what I think. That's I think so. That's um, my uneducated opinion. All right, Mike. Fish. Mike, we're going to ask you a couple of uh, non-conservation uh, related questions sure. um, as we're closing out. Um, so, um, so when you're not when you're not fishing, um, when you're not involved in this conservation work, what do you like to do for fun? How do you how do you connect with Mike? How do you how do you just relax and um, take it I easy? love to hike. Yeah. I love to hike. I mean, I don't hunt anymore, but I love getting out there. And when I hike, I try to read sign. 
Um, you know, see if a deer has been scraping on a tree. Mm. Um, see if I could see where they're moving, you know, mm-hmm. looking for what we call a deer run. Um, and just trying to spot, you know, as much wildlife as I can. Um, it's, I just love being outdoors, um, you know, for indoor activity. Um, I love to cook and, um, you know, being a a kid from Boston, um, you know, I had the, uh, typical Italian grandmother who could cook and, uh, I was her favorite grandchild. There was never an empty, uh, full plate after I was done. So she's been gone for some time. And occasionally I try to, because she never wrote any of her, uh, wrote her recipes down. Sorry. Um, I try to recreate them sometimes. Um, So love to cook, um, love to spend time with my dog and my wife, Ann. Uh, We all like to go hiking together. Um, We like to go exploring. And it was a little tough during the pandemic, obviously, when we were kind of postponed, um, as everyone was. So, you know, we're hoping, like everyone else, that that ends soon so we can get back out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's opening up a little, but... Uh, still um, what kind of what kind of dog do you have we have a uh it's a little mix um her name is daisy and she is mostly jack russell terrier oh um, a lot of personality she, those dogs. yeah a lot of it but yeah. she's also part um oh what's it called i forgot but it's a lazy it's a lazy breed and daisy's more like that um <laughs> pug pug by any chance no it's not no no. Is it a Bichon? No. no. Um, yeah. It has a little bit of poodle and chihuahua in it. That's why she has such a tiny head. Mm. But it's something else. I forget what it's called. It's okay. white, lap dog. Yeah. Um, I'm not good. Have a lot. Yeah, I'm not good with different dog breeds. I can't I'm help. We have yeah. a Mississippi chocolate hound dog. Yeah, our dog is from the the deep the deep uh, south. Um, they told us she was going to be a boxer lab mix in 70 pounds, but you know, she showed up. We're pretty sure she's part weasel. Um, yep, for sure. And she's about 30, 30 pounds, pounds soaking wet. Ugh. Yeah. But she's great. I mean, she, she loves to kill. So she definitely has ter- <laughs> terrier in her. <laughs> she will murder well, anything she catches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maltese. That's what. That's Maltese. What yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, if we talk long enough, you'd remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, you jog something in my, yeah. in my memory. But, uh, no, she's not. Uh, she's she does well with other dogs, but yeah. um, she's certainly not a hunting dog. Mm. Um, coming from a family of hunters, my grandfather always had beagles. Mm. Oh yeah, chase rabbits, and he always had two, a male and a female. Um, females have better noses and they keep the male in check. Is that um, what happens? I can always, t- I mean, we I can. friends that have a male and a female. Yeah. I mean, I can, beagle. I can identify a beagle by sound. They have right. such a unique, um, mm-hmm. howl, I guess is what you might call it. Um, uh, what kind of stuff did you hunt? I always, so I want to just say this, um, I am pro hunting, mm-hmm. even though I've never hunted, I've always wanted to hunt. But it's like I never knew how to learn how to do it, despite being, <laughs> despite being ex-military and knowing. Like I was trained to hunt people, not. Um, you literally live right. in places. 
I like literally down the street. You I know, learn, but maybe that's maybe. Club. But maybe that's my resistance. Is because my early training with guns was in how to kill people, and I don't want to just don't go kill people. Go kill. <sighs> but I'm just saying. <laughs> Anyways, I am pro hunting, and I always have wanted to hunt. You should. And I just I never knew. How, I'm too old now. I no, never. You're not. <sighs> no. You're never too old. Well, I hate it when you say that. And I never knew how to get started. So, Mike, I just wanted to ask you, like, what kind of um, what kind of stuff um, did you grow up hunting? Was it deer? Other other things? Yes, we uh, had yeah. to travel um, to the four ninety five area, and you really couldn't hunt uh, in Newton Connor near the, <laughs> the Mass Pike or the Oak Square section of Brighton. Absolutely um, not. <laughs> I think the police would have liked that too much. But we would drive out to Westboro, mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. Southboro, and Northboro up to Pepperell and Townsend. Yep. I mean, like in the borough community, you can't hunt there anymore. I'm going back to the 1970s before Mm -hmm. it was as built up as it is now. And the rule that we grew up under, because my dad grew up obviously during the depression, if you're going to shoot something, you have to eat it. Yeah. That's how you respect nature and life. Um, So I did not dare go out with, you know, kids with a BB gun and shooting things for fun. It wasn't fun. Right. Um, it, you know, whenever we shot, we ate and mm-hmm. we would eat, eat rabbits. My grandmother made a, a mean rabbit cacciatore. Rabbit is an Italian delicacy. Um, pheasants that were stocked by the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, rough grouse, which are natural. Um, um, the grouse species, very hard to hit because yeah. they fly so fast and very thick brush. If you get two shots, you were lucky. I've almost been uh, given a heart attack by grouse when I've been hiking. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The way they just um, burst out of the underbrush. Mm-hmm. Right. And snowshoe hares. Um, mm. They have those in Massachusetts as well, especially along the New Hampshire, Vermont border. Um, and deer, of course, we would go yeah. deer hunting. And I would, you know, when I was old enough, I got to go to the Berkshires. And, you know, I figured I was going to someplace like Walton's Mountain uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. as a young kid. And, you know, obviously I decided to love the area as a child and it's kind of ironic that I'm back here. Um, I do, I do like to go out in the fall and, um, because that's when things are happening. Yeah. Um, especially the deer, uh, rut, um, grouse start moving around. Um, things start happening. People, the animals are getting ready for winter and there's just a lot to see. And with less foliage, you can see a lot more. Yeah. I love venison. It's my favorite meat. It's so delicious. Okay, vegetarian. Um, I yeah. I mean, I'm eating a more vegetarian diet. It's so interesting how you're talking about things are moving around. I was running on um, a bike path today um, in in our a neighboring town called Amherst, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and I'm running along, and I There's I just so see so many animals. No, I just see this snake sitting there in the middle of the path, and you know. He's looking kind of confused. Like normally, you wouldn't just see a snake just sitting there, right? And he like was just hanging out. And there's bikes whizzing by and flying. So I um did you move in? I gently kicked this snake across off of the cement and got him on his way. It's like you need to finish what you started here. Did your good deed for the yeah. Finish what you started, snake. And I saw a frog just sitting there too. A frog I didn't care so much about. It was this snake. Um, 
I learned something yesterday. What? Well, we were talking about acorns. There's like, because like they just shower all over you all of a sudden. There's so many acorns. And somebody said that they don't, that they fully release all their acorns like every five years or so. Oh. Or something like that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Hmm. But that's why like there's like a shower of acorns lately. Hmm. We should become hunters. No, we should not. I mean, you okay. can if you'd like to, because you're not old enough. Right. I mean, you're not too old, is what I'm trying to say, but I have no desire. All right. What hunting will also do, as fly fishing will do for you, is you hike a lot. And yeah. so it will keep you in shape. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a great way to stay in shape. I took my dad fly fishing and oh, a few years ago up in Maine, and... um he has a house up near there and we went to a river there that's pretty popular and I'd never been before. So I took my equipment, gave him some equipment and, um, you know, by the end of the trip, he accused me of trying to, uh, inherit my inheritance early. Uh, <laughs> we, it was, you know, we're climbing over rocks, over yeah. branches and then getting into the water and trying yeah. not to slip and fall. He couldn't believe what a workout it could be. Yeah. How far up were you? Were you, is it far up in Maine? No, it's in the uh, Sebago Lake region, actually. Okay. Yeah, that's a beautiful region. Where are we going? We're going up there soon. Yeah. Evans Notch. But where? what's the yeah. town near Gilead. there? Gilead. Gilead, Maine. It's like right near... It's near Gorham. Yeah, near Gorham. Yes. Yeah, it's gorgeous <laughs> up there. We're going up for a weekend relatively soon. Yeah. I've been to Gorham. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. All right, um, Mike, last question. Um, and this, this is going to feel probably pretty random. Um, and you can, you can take it however you want. You can have no answer. That's totally fine. But we ask this question of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what have you experienced that you can't explain? So I know that's a big question. I'll say, wow. Um, what have I experienced that I can't explain? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. What have I experienced that I can't explain? I think being outside a lot, especially in the woods, sometimes you hear things. Um, my father always told me that sometimes the woods can play tricks on you. Mm-hmm. That's why you always have to be alert, especially, you know, when you have a firearm, so you don't try to shoot at something accidentally. But sometimes I'm, there's times I thought I heard voices. Yeah. Um, and I found out, I, I can't explain it now. I couldn't when I was 15, 16 years old that uh, the sound traveled. Yeah. Um, maybe five or six miles. Mm. But it sounded like they were, you know, a couple hundred feet away. Um, oh, that's so interesting. Like that. Yeah, we had somebody on here tell us once that they were in the woods and they heard a bunch of voices. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that was what they said they couldn't explain. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what it was. That's so interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. We know that's a kind of a, a bit of a surprise question, but sure. Um, and there's there's other times on the water too, and I think I have the right fly. <laughs> and I just can't figure out yeah. why they're not. That happens frequently. So <laughs> yeah. why aren't they hitting my fly? They were hitting it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, the, I was gonna say that 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 must be some task trying to figure out the mind of a fish. I wouldn't be able to do it. Well, that's why I say there is so much science involved. Yeah. It's more than just clipping a lure on. You have to know 
something about entomology. Yeah. And um, they're, they're, I'm always learning. And I fish a lot with my father-in-law, who's almost 78, who was a great bass fisherman in the area. Um, you know, the, the local newspaper, Springfield Republican, had done stories on him. And he switched to trout fishing. And he's become an excellent trout uh, angler. But he's said to me countless times, he never stops learning hmm. with Maybe. fly fishing. Always something to learn. Maybe I'm not too old. Oh my fucking god! I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad Mike came on here and talked to us. Oh yeah, because he, whatever. Yeah, I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> <laughs> I like to pretend I'm a lot older than I am. All right, I have to ask you this. Sorry, um, I lied. It wasn't the last question. Um, so occasionally people report seeing mountain lions. Mm-hmm. in our woods out here in Western Massachusetts. Do you have an opinion on this? Somebody who has been out there fishing and has spent time out there in the woods hiking, any thoughts about that? Sure. Um, there are people who keep um, crazy exotic pets. Uh, and it's not just, you know, 20 foot long anacondas. Mm-hmm. Um, they have found um, both feces and hair of a creature that did, you know, DNA proved it was a mountain lion, but it was uh, probably from South America. Oh yeah. Somebody had a pet and they let it go. Um, The same thing floats around about wolves. Uh, Wolves have made it down to Maine. And I don't know if you remember, but several years ago, um, somebody saw what they thought was the biggest coyote they ever saw in their life. They were a farmer. Um, the animal had taken one of its sheep or livestock. They are allowed to shoot it. So they did have somebody shoot it. It weighed 98 pounds. They took it to the University of Massachusetts for a study. It was a gray wolf. Oh, wow. Shot in Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts. Jeez. And when they studied its stomach contents, it had one time been up in Quebec, oh, where wow. it was eating a very specific type of lichen off of a rock. Huh. Wow. So. so- Anything's possible. Well-traveled wolf. Right. Yeah. All right. Crazy. Um, Mike, um, Mike Vito, thank you. Um, I really enjoyed, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, talking with you about um, the Deerfield River Watershed chapter of Trout Unlimited, right? And so folks, you heard all the ways that you can potentially get involved if you're interested. Um, You can help support um, by donating, um, volunteering, volunteering. check out the links. Okay. These are really great projects um, that um, help, um, help a good cause here. (laughs) Right. Stomping Jen. That's right. All right. That's right. Okay. Listeners. um, Here's what we need to say to you. Um, Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Mm -hmm. We do love you. Mm -hmm. Despite stomping Jen's, um, obvious disdain for me and by extension you what are you talking about <laughs> no i'm just kidding i'm playing with you stomping jen <sighs> i don't know why you love to throw me under the bus like that our listeners expect it um so listen you scoundrels um uh subscribe to the podcast um download our episodes leave us a review um, engage with us on social media. Okay? Share with a friend. Share with a friend. If you're listening to this and you say, hey, I would be a good guest, reach out to us. Yeah. We'll consider it. 
<laughs> consider. Maybe. It's possible. We don't just let anyone on here, mm-hmm. okay? Just, you know, if we meet you at a party. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of some of the most interesting conversations we've had have happened that way. So. At the party. Yeah. Uh, Mike, thank you again so much. Um, we just thank go around. Both. We like to say, just say goodbye, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. So we'll give you the honor of uh, going first here. Uh, thank you both uh, for having me here on behalf of the Deerfield River chapter of Trout Unlimited. Um, you know, we welcome all folks to join us. Um, it's a great experience. There's a lot of science involved and uh, hope to hear from you all. So Stompin' Jen and Sawtooth Frank, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Mike. Thank uh, you. Um, Stomping Jen. Bye now. All right, folks. Bye now. This world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity. And that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, All peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road.